Hello and welcome to Acting Up, the podcast that dives deep into the world of TV and film that highlights our people, our culture, and our stories. I'm your host, Courtney Wills, Entertainment Director at The Grio, and this week we're sitting down with actor and director Deshaun Terry, one of the stars of Apple TV's The Morning Show, and we're going to get into some of the things his character is dealing with this season, as well as some other fantastic projects he's involved with. So on the morning show, Deshaun Terry plays a reporter named Daniel Henderson, and the show kind of starts at the very beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic this season. In case you missed it, last season featured Gugu Mbatha-Ra in a central role, and I don't want to give too much away for people who haven't seen it, but she's not here this season, but her storyline is still very relevant, and so... Deshaun and I are going to get into a little bit of what happened in the first season and what's really going on this season. The reason I wanted to have Deshaun Terry on, aside from the fact that he's just an extremely talented actor and someone who really gives a lot of himself off camera, is that the storyline of his character this season highlights something that we don't see a lot on screen, and that is the journey of Black journalists in mainstream newsrooms. There are so many microaggressions and macroaggressions that journalists are faced with, particularly journalists of color, and especially at a time where so many of the stories and issues that permeate the headlines do involve race. His character on the show is also a gay man, and his sexuality comes into play sometimes. It was just really an interesting role. And no matter how you feel about the show, which I think really polarizes people, some people love it, some people cannot stand it, I do think that this show does a good job of tackling issues that are often ignored. The other thing I love about Deshaun is that, gosh, he's just such a skilled actor. He went to Juilliard. He directs. He's actually the founder and artistic director of a collaborative artist block. That's a theater company dedicated to bringing art focused on social impact into underserved communities in Los Angeles. Aside from the morning show, Deshaun is busy prepping to direct a production of the Central Park Five, the Pulitzer Prize winning opera at the Long Beach Opera. So we'll talk a little bit about that and why it's so important for him to give back and inspire others in the community to follow their dreams. The Morning Show stars Jennifer Aniston and Reese Witherspoon and Steve Carell, but Deshaun Terry is my favorite actor on the series and my favorite character on the show, hands down. And what's funny is I don't even always like his character. It's not because I think he's like an amazing person. I just think that he's really interesting and layered. And I love the way that Deshaun really brings some pertinent issues to the forefront with this role. There is the ongoing discussion and examination of rape and rape culture and what happens after and cancel culture. Steve Carell plays Mitch Kessler, who's like a really famous morning show co-host, you know, like it seems like they're kind of based off of the kind of dynamic you'd say between Meredith and Matt Lauer on the Today Show in real life. Whereas like Meredith would have been Jennifer Aniston's character and Steve Carell is, you know, Lauer. Anyway, Gugu Mbatha-Raw plays Hannah and she is like a producer on the show. Long story short, a big part of the storyline involves 
a sexual encounter between Mitch Kessler and his producer played by Gugu. The incident is basically like they're in Vegas working on a story. Something traumatic happens. They're both rattled. They kind of bond over that. You know, he invites her to his hotel room. She says, yes, they're hanging out. One thing leads to another. And I don't know how much of this I want to get into, but basically there is a sex act and that sex act leaves Hannah forever changed and not okay. Don't want to spoil everything, but that's what I will give you. The repercussions for Mitch's character range from, of course, like public bashing and canceling and being fired and lawsuits and, you know, public scorn, you know, rapist, assaulter of women, predator, danger, hashtag me too, like public enemy number one. And that's a very, very barely scratching the surface synopsis. So please like, you know, just watch it or don't. But we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about what this show is doing to elevate conversations around consent, around rape, around appropriate subordinate, superior work relationships, dynamics, all of that. So I just wanted to give you like a little bit so that if you haven't seen it, you're not totally lost. You made me stick with this show like I was done with the morning show I was over it Gugu's gone like you know next and then here you come making it so relevant and so fresh and so real to me and my friends who are black in news right and so I thought that was really cool I've been wanting to talk to someone from the morning show about the whole premise which is of course what happened between Steve Carell's character and Gugu's character last season. Of course she's not in it but that's still a very looming heavy relevant plot point and my reaction when I saw that last season I didn't think it was rape. You like I really struggled with understanding mm. what wasn't consensual at least in terms of what I understood consensual to mean at the time, mm -hmm. what about what I just watched mm. was not consensual, problematic, like indicative of really messed up norms and, you know, gender roles and, you know, work roles. Yes. But like rape, like that man is a villain. He should be dead or in jail or, you know, tarred and feathered and a predator was a stretch. And I haven't been able to say that. And I think it's really worth talking about because it's a conversation that's always evolving. My understanding now, even a year and a half later, has changed. And of course, the show has progressed in a way that we have a lot more context and more things happened. But I think it's worth talking about how much just representations of scenarios like that force conversations even with ourselves that we wouldn't be having otherwise. I agree with you in terms of the, the confusion, just sort of like, what, wait, wait, because she said, yes, she's a, she's a grown woman. Um, he's a grown man. And, and that's one of the things I like about the show, because I think that the show dares to go into the gray area. It dares to go into the gray area. And what I actually really, really love about Google, I get chills thinking about it. What I really loved about Gugu's performance is that aside from, you know, reading it on the page, well, she did it. He says, do you want to come up to the hotel room? She goes up to the hotel room. You know, you're not supposed to be going up to people's hotels room, <laughs> like just like that. And the way that Gugu portrayed it, like I still have that image of her eyes before. And it just seems as if Gugu just realized right then and there 
what she has done or what she was consenting to. And if it wasn't literally for the visualization of what Gugu did and sort of like, no, she's in trauma right now. She's actually not making decisions from a you know grounded and clear space. If it wasn't for that, you'd be like, but then when I see the human consequence on Google, I'm like, ooh, ooh, that's not right. Like he could have, he should have had more sensitivity in regards to that. But it is, it is gray areas. Um, and the show continues to do that. The show does, because there is a part of this, you know, um, and, and I think ultimately I, 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 I reside over on cancel culture. I guess I've realized that during the press junket because people have asked me and I've realized, I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm a canceler. <laughs> <laughs> I will cancel some folks, but there is, you know, a side to cancel culture where it's just sort of like we're we're calling people out, and there's there's others there's a second side to the story. There's there's nuances, and 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 canceling is a little bit on trend yeah. right now. So I do think the word predator, you know, may not feel right or suitable for some people, and the show delves further into that in second season, and also it, it talks about because the show talks about so much, but one of the dialogues that I love and I want us to, to spend even more time on is people of color in white spaces. Yep. You know, Daniel's character leads that conversation in just sort of really bringing to clarity how different we're portraying him or the opportunities that he's limited, limited to. He get told that he, don't ha he doesn't have the it factor. Yep. What the fuck is that? Like that if the, the the very notion that he's told because they've done corporate studying or whatever and they're like you don't have the it factor which is so many people in through the history of of media black people have been told or other people have been told that oh you can't take the seat or you can't take the spotlight because you don't have the it factor which is so connected to some sort of proximity to whiteness yep so it, it, it's just so anyway so stuff like that that they're you know that we do start to talk about i want us to go i would hope that we go further um into those conversations because i think majority we really have to get to the point of you know really factualizing it and when i say factualizing it meaning that people accept it as a fact that the majority of the world are people of color yeah <laughs> people of color are the global majority so our experience is actually the experience that is happening in most people in this world and it's so interesting that the, the people of color feel outside and we're being otherized. And Daniel is one of the people who is speaking up about this, this policy of, oh, we just center whiteness. Yep, absolutely. And Daniel was speaking, gosh, for experiences that I've had, experiences that friends and colleagues of mine have had as journalists as the only one or one of two or three in not the room, like the building, right? Like the block, okay? Avenue of the Americas, in the early 2000s, there were not a lot of people that looked like me running up and through Time Inc. And contending with that and understanding that it's not something that everyone talks about. It's not something that everyone recognizes. When you see a black face giving you your nightly news, you have no idea the battles that they fought to get there. And I was really struck by a point that Daniel made in the show where it's the time that you're talking about. You know, he's told he doesn't have the it factor, but he's also, I think, treated in a way that made me feel like, you know, 
they think he should just be glad to be there. He should just be lucky and grateful to be there. And he got the, you're a big fish in a small pond and now you're in a big pond, you know? So everyone here is great. Everyone here is brilliant. You know, you're the the most brilliant black person just gets a C Mm. if they're lucky, but they could never be considered as brilliant or more brilliant than the most brilliant white woman. Like that's never going to happen. And I thought that your character kind of grappling with that, recognizing that, and then deciding that ain't it. I don't like this. This is not how it should be. This is not what I deserve is important because that's another new thing. Again, for a long time, I felt like I should be grateful to be in the room. I felt like being the most fantastic black one was enough. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was the ceiling and that's not in it anymore. And part of that has to do with having conversations like this out in the open and recognizing that seeing these things play out on screen have real life repercussions in the sense of, I'm going to speak up for myself too. You know, I'm not going to take that. You know, I, I've been watching, uh, cause you know, playing, portraying Daniel and it, it's always, it's been my dream for so long. I come from theater and it's been a dream for so long for me to play a character for several years on television just because I wanted to have that experience of getting to know a character more intimately over time, right? And so having this experience made me really key in a bit more into who are the Black journalists out there who actually have shows. And I love seeing some of what is happening in terms of, you know, more people getting platforms. And so it's interesting for me to watch because I watch them. And uh, like one thing that I was really struck by was Jonathan Capehart when he got his show on MSNBC. I mean, brother did this just heartfelt, just moment where he talked about just being a Black man and being gay and never, ever thinking that this moment would come. And now finally he has this opportunity. And it made me think about, you know, what we what the show was going through with Daniel and this whole idea of the it factor, et cetera, et cetera. And I'm and I imagined from Jonathan's perspective, because now I go look at his show and I'm seeing that the show is really developing its voice in its own unique way. And it makes me see it was like, well, you know, how are you how are you gonna measure someone's it factor? based off of paradigms of what you saw Anglo male journalists do. So you're literally expecting them to connect to the audience in these statistics that you created from a white perspective, from a white gaze. So it's like you haven't seen yet what this person's realness or or whatever it is that they bring, how that connects to the audience and how that can move and shape your uh, shape your audience because and how important just authenticity is. So it's like it's just so, you know, it's just so crazy to me how they really try to fit us into these boxes and this system and it's really complicated. So so we do need to talk about it because what it does and what you're talking about to me is when you get there and you're the only one, then oftentimes it creates in you imposter syndrome. Yeah, so real. Imposter syndrome is some real shit, man. You don't beat all these people to get here, white folks, brown folks, all these people to get here. And then you get there and they're still treating you like, oh, you should just be grateful to be here. It makes you think like you haven't really done the work. And I think we see Daniel go through that. And I think Daniel being not only black, but also being gay. And at a time where we've got a whole storyline of someone else who, you know, was in the same profession and was gay years earlier, decades earlier, and it was detrimental. 
you know, next to a time when that might be a factor that suddenly makes you more appealing to your bosses or to the demographic that you're serving in this day and age. And it made me think of the black card, but it was like a gay card, you know, like everyone Mm -hmm. was pulling out their cards of like what makes them diverse, what makes them more suited, better suited to represent, you know, the audience and connect with the audience. And that was wild too, mm. right? Because we've been doing that. You've seen that. It's, it's all the time with blackness. It's like, oh, we'll give you the hip hop stories, the culture stories. Hey, there's a new dance on TikTok. Let's give it to Daniel, right? But like, you're like, you're not going to cover the election. That would be preposterous. But wait, he's black and now black people vote. Oh, wait, he's gay. And there's a whole ton of LGBTQ issues. Oh, wait, you know, she's bi or she's a single mother or she believes in in feature or she had an abortion. Like all of these things that you would never want your bosses or your audience to know two decades ago are now, mm-hmm. you know, like capital, like mm-hmm. pick and choose what your, you know, what your obstacle to overcome was, what your otherness is. Like, let's, let's use the thing that used to keep you out and make it the re- the only reason that you get to stay in anymore. And I thought that was wild too. Yeah, we, they, 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 we see him get tokenized. He gets tokenized as the black guy, the gay guy. He's at the intersection of sexuality. So black and gay, so he fit. And, and sometimes he uses that card. He's like, okay, I should, okay, this is the card I got. <laughs> like, is this card gonna get me in? Mm-hmm. But what, what Daniel also says, and I hope we get back to this, is that he says, I just wanna do the news. <laughs> Like, I just want to do good news. I just want, can I just do my job? Can that be enough? And so it's, I think it's really interesting. I think it's a really, you know, complex dialogue that I hope people are able to relate to. Just how do you maneuver this system with the resources and tools that you do have? And, you know, from a workplace, and I'm just going to say it, that is, for me, personally relating to it, because, you know, we grew up in the lie of, uh, I grew up in the lie of post-racial America, right? Yeah. And so this whole moment that we're coming out of 2020 is really exciting to me, because we finally pulled down the curtain, said, okay, this shit ain't post-racial. Barack came in, and we're like, what are you talking about? But Barack, Oprah, right? And so there was this myth, again, a sense in just living in your skin that, what you're seeing as a black person or you're seeing or experiencing marginalization they oh no you're just seeing that <laughs> right and so finally in 2020 we we kind of we kind of fully pull it down and we're able to really see behind the lens of what is really going on that was profound because yes this you know what you touched on is something that i you know when i can't sleep at night and random thoughts start going through my head i'm like Oh, I've been gaslit since the day I was born. Mm. The word and the concept of gaslighting didn't exist as I was going through it. But, oh, that's what the fuck this is. Mm -hmm. Exactly. In a nutshell, like America has been gaslighting black folks. And particularly, you know, you get past like you get into the 80s, 90s, like, you know, people who were coming of age in that era. Absolutely. Like, work hard, be good. You have all the opportunities. Now we fixed everything. If you want it, you can get it. And, you know, if you feel discriminated against, that's you, that's, that's like not a thing anymore, guys. And then we blew the lid off of it now. 
And it's so out of character to be able to call things out. And that's now the order of the day. We're calling things out right and left. Little things are like, no, we're not taking any of it anymore. And it's such a juxtaposition. Yeah. And just now that we're getting smarter and the dialogue is getting more complex in terms of naming it, you know, I think about it in terms of, you know, when I was growing up, the the hot topic was affirmative action. And how did they get rid of affirmative action? They said, there's not a problem. (laughs) That was the thing, just deny. And now we, we see that happen more and more where they're saying, oh no, it's not a problem. It's not a problem, but we have to keep showing them the statistics. We have to show we have to show them the lack of representation from this is what is in the community. This is how many people you have on air. One. Yeah. Tokenism. A hundred percent. And you know, representation is something that is such a, a focus of mine. And one thing that the morning show does, I think again, really well, and I'm seeing a lot of projects touch on either directly or indirectly, is the diversity of approach for Black people now, right? Mm. So like my parents and the way that they thought about, think about, approach and examine racial issues is quite different than the way my grandparents do and quite different than the way I do. And we see your character with Mia. Who is amazing, by the way. Pittman is amazing. I hope I have her on too. And you guys have, you know, a different approach and who's not grappling with that now in the wake of everything we just talked about in, in the wake of all the change, aren't you sometimes like, how do I want to play this? Like, you know, do I, is this the time that I speak up or sometimes do I use the fact that, you know what? Yeah, it is still messed up, but I am in the room and here's the change I can affect now, or no, I'm not playing by your rules at all. You know, like throw the whole game board away and, you know, revolt and rise up. Like sometimes it's a different strategy and you think they're bumping heads, but they are really kind of leaning on each other, I think, and recognizing the struggle, if you will, in each other, even though they sometimes navigate it and look at it kind of differently. And I think that's important to represent the diversity in how we navigate. And I wondered for you what it was like to kind of flesh out that dynamic between Daniel and Mia. Well, one of the things that's really cool is, first of all, I got really lucky with Carrie Aaron, the showrunner, because she talks to us. She and and she she talked to us even more this season to to really talk about flushing out their experiences in the workplace. So I really felt like I got to collaborate with Karen and Carrie with this because there's a lot of complex nuances and lines that we're trying to thread. And so Carrie really allowed us to give our feedback in terms of what we felt were were, were authentic, uh, what was authentic about being in the workspace. And that's one of the things that I I'm glad that you picked up on because Daniel and the the Mia character have completely different approaches, even though they have a good relationship, but their their relationship, because we wanted to avoid having the black characters on the show having less complexity than the than the white characters. So we want them to have flaws. We want them to have disagreements. There should be things that you know you don't like about Daniel, things that you don't like about Mia. Just like there's things that you like and don't like about all the other characters on the show. We shouldn't just carry, oh, we are the black folks, so we carry the moral integrity of it. And so it was cool to get into that messiness and that Carrie started to allow that to happen. And I want to see more of it, you know? I want to see more of it too. I thought that, that was a real strong point of the show. I could talk to you about the season of the morning show forever, but I won't because there's a lot of other really amazing things to talk to you about, including 
your work in the theater and what you have coming up in Long Beach, which is not too far from me. Tell me about that. Yeah, so I'm a, I'm, I'm a theater boy. I uh, grew up in Los Angeles and I have a theater company called Collaborative Artist Block. And what we're doing is we're basically trying to create stories like we're talking about where, you know, black folks are the center of the narrative. I know for myself specifically, if I didn't have that experience where I could go into a world where I was working with black artists as a kid who created stories and told stories where I existed, where we existed in the center, I wouldn't have been able to find my power. Um, and so the point of CAB is to, to bring that back to folks. And then just so happened, you know, coming up, someone contacted me from the Long Beach Opera House and they want me to direct an opera. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> which is uh, which is really exciting, scary, but exciting. And I also, that's just one of my motifs in, in life as an artist is like, if it's not scary, then you really shouldn't be doing it. Mm. Um, and so uh, I'll be directing this Pulitzer Prize winning opera. It's uh, written by Anthony Davis. He's the composer about the Central Park Five. And I'm really, really, I'm, I'm knee deep in it right now. And I'm so fascinated by it. I'm so fascinated about taking this iconic story and told from the perspective of the opera and it's already an opera that's you know groundbreaking uh you know it's what it won the pulitzer and you know for us to get another production of it and to really you know communicate the black experience through another medium that because i want to dismantle all the space all the white spaces like let's see what black folks can do and, and what's cool about this production is it we are really focusing on bringing more Black people as the custodians of our stories. You know, even though we get more representation in front of the camera, but Black folks, we need to also be the custodians of our stories. We need to be the designers. We need to be the directors. Right now, what is it, 95% of directors on Broadway are white men or something like that. So what's exciting is the, the, the production is really working towards that. So I'm really excited about what we're going to be able to bring. I'm excited about it too. There are a lot of, there's a lot of content like coming to theater and coming to Broadway that I think will pull black eyeballs to it. Um, but I think even taking it a step further and making it opera, I mean, gosh, I've been covering entertainment for a super long time and I've never seen an opera. I've seen a million musicals. I've seen a million plays on Broadway, but I have never actually sat through an opera and have had zero desire ever to do so until right now. I'm dying to see this show. Are you from Long Beach? No, I'm from, uh, originally I'm from Belize City, Belize. That's where I was born and raised, but I've lived in, I grew up in South Central. So my mom is in Inglewood. So I'm an LA boy, So, I, but, but not Long Beach specifically. I love that. Talk to me a little bit about, you know, you said that these programs that you do now and your initiatives for the youth were rooted in the fact that like you knew that you needed some kind of support and something to relate to coming up. But like, what was that journey like? Like, how did you, how did you have the audacity to shoot for being this Broadway star and this amazing actor? Like what made you think that you could do that growing up here? I had people pour into me. I had older artists, Deidre Weston, Wendy Raquel Robinson, if you're familiar with that name yes. on the game. Those are some of my first acting teachers. Wendy was the, the first person that I saw or I met who was like on TV. I could see her in her episode of Martin. And on Saturdays, she would be there with me, touching me, holding me, letting me know that I'm important, investing in me, saying, you have talent, you can do this. And that was such an immense thing in terms of shaping me because then they gave me the agency to say, 
I, I say this with no lie. When someone told me you should apply to Juilliard, my mind was, I was like, wait, Juilliard, me? I could do that? I could be, be there? I don't, that place exists? <laughs> I mm -hmm. thought it was just insane the last dance. <laughs> um, but someone literally had to pour that into me as, as, you know, because the road had not been built. It's not like I'm meeting a lot of people who are saying, hey, yeah, I just got, no, it was like, whoa. And then I, you know, had the audacity to apply. I got such great advice from people. I remember someone said, don't try to be something other than, than yourself, right? If they don't want you, they don't want you, but just do what you do and let them see if that is what and i went in that room and, and you know real quick like the, the juilliard story is it when you audition for juilliard oftentimes you're auditioning with like 200 whatever people and that day at juilliard i was the one person that got called back Ooh. and that happens to a lot of people and so it's just sort of like but if i did not have someone pour into me and say to me you can do this you have you have a gift it never would have happened and so, yeah, so that's what CAB hopefully is, is doing is pouring back into people and, you know, helping to to build because you can't just Ava DuVernay has the quote where she says that if your dream only involves you, it's not big enough. Mm. Yeah. So that's the goal. That's with the theater work to keep connected to community and helping others. Well, I love to hear that. I cannot wait to see your production. I will be there for sure. Yes. It was such a pleasure to talk to you today. I am such a fan of the work that you were doing on screen and off. And I really hope that everyone listening takes the time to check out the season of The Morning Show. Courtney, it was so good to meet you. Then we meet again soon, okay? Absolutely. Okay, take care. Thank you for listening to Acting Up. If you like what you heard, please give us a five-star review and subscribe to the show wherever you listen to your podcasts and share it with everyone you know. Please email all questions, comments, and suggestions to podcasts at thegrio.com. Acting Up is brought to you by The Grio and executive produced by Courtney Wills and produced by Cameron Blackwell. For more with me and Acting Up, check us out on Instagram at actingup.pod. 